Good morning, everyone. How are you? Uh, my, name is, uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you to E3 um, on this MLK weekend. I hope that tomorrow will be uh, um, a day where you can, uh, if not going, go out and serve somewhere, if you can reflect on the implications of people like Dr. King and other martyrs and other people who have sacrificed in order to win freedom for everybody in our country and also to point the way towards God's justice uh, in, in our land and other lands. I, I hope you do that. Um, but also, man, I also want to say that, boy, after that block of music this morning, I could just go home, right? I don't, you guys don't have to sit here. I'll just go home and get ready for the Steeler game. No. There you go. Thank you. Um, So we're in the second week of this series that we're calling Intentional Acts of Discipleship, and we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, uh, you might want to go to Acts uh, chapter 2, and we're going to be, in most of this series, referring back to this passage, verses 42 through 47 in the book of Acts. This passage of Scripture is so powerful. Uh, I don't know how much you know about this, but these five verses of scripture have launched so many churches. And not only that, but they've launched church movements as pastors and, and, and prophets and people of faith have looked at these five verses of the description of the earliest church and something has captured their hearts. And they've said, what I see in these verses, I want, and I want to be a part of it. Uh, Entire decade-long movements have come out of these verses, and I'm just going to read them uh, right now, and then we'll move on and just talk about what we need to talk about. In verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Does that not sound like something exciting to be a part of? All these things just breaking out in Jerusalem. And when we were getting ready for this series, uh, Mark asked me to take a look and, and see if I could figure out how we could break down the weeks of the series. And so I went to this passage of scripture and I just made a list of the intentional acts of discipleship that the first church did. There was no great chemistry or alchemy involved in it. I just went through the passage and I was like, okay, well, uh, the believers, uh, they were about fellowship. They shared meals. They shared with each other. They gave generously. They worshiped. And what we're going to be talking about today is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they learned together. 
And there's a couple other things that are sprinkled through the first five chapters that we're gonna get to in the next few weeks. But as far as intentional acts of discipleship go, this was what the first church gave their lives to. Meeting together, being a community, sharing with those in need, worshiping together, learning together. So if you want a description of what a powerful church movement looks like, unfortunately, it's not that complicated. Except for the signs and wonders part, maybe. But if you hang around people of faith long enough, you'll see some signs and wonders, amen? All right. Sometimes they're really spectacular. Sometimes they're really, really subtle. So I'm gonna talk today about what it means to learn as an act of discipleship, okay? And to do that, I wanna talk about three words that appear in that first verse. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So those three words, devoted, apostles, and teaching. I just wanna I just want to drill down into the significance of each of those words, and I'm not going to do it in order because I'm preaching and I get to choose. Uh, but before we do that, some of us need to hear very, very plainly, before we even get to those words, uh, as evidenced by this verse and other passages in the scriptures, a call to discipleship is a call to learn. Some of us may have seen faith traditions or seen faith expressed in such a way that there's this great divide between your mind and your soul. And I want to suggest to you that that is not the biblical model that we see. The biblical model that we see is a holistic model. And if you were to look at Paul's language throughout the New Testament, Paul over and over again talks about you need to learn certain things. You need to know certain things. And Paul uses different words to express those ideas. Sometimes they are knowing kind of in a more revelatory way, which means sometimes God just shows you something. But there's other ways that he uses the words that just mean what they mean. It means you have to learn, you have to know. Furthermore, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus himself says, come to me and learn from me. Don't just come to me and get saved, which is a good thing. Come to me and learn from me. Our faith is a learning faith. Jesus himself, we're told in the gospel of Luke, learns. He grows in wisdom, the scripture says. We are called to learn as disciples. When you sign on to this Jesus movement, you sign on to a lot of things. What you do not sign on to is a lobotomy. Okay? So... Um, and you guys, if you know me at all, I'm passionate about this learning thing, right? And I gotta tell you, this is one of the funnest messages I've ever prepared for. I don't know why. Uh, I had a, a buddy of mine I used to play music with, and we had this phrase that we, we actually picked up from uh, watching a, a concert by the Killers. 
and the lead singer, Brandon Flowers, he just makes a remark of uh, a song, and he says, this song's a real rattlesnake. And so for us, it became uh, the phrase, I don't know how he was using it, but for us, it became a phrase that meant anytime that something was slippery and evasive and wouldn't quite settle down, it was a challenge, we'd go, man, this one's a real rattlesnake. And this message has been a real rattlesnake for me. And understand, I don't know anything about rattlesnakes in real life. If I saw one, I would run for the hills. But every time I started to to angle in on this message and every time I would start to kind of figure out this is where it's going to go, it's like I would step on it and it would wiggle out from underneath me and it would go, oh, no, you're going to go this way. So I've been chasing this thing for days. But I think, I think I've landed where God wants me to land. So the first word we're going to look at is the word teaching. The people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we're going to mess with Greek in a very, very light way this morning, so get ready. Um, The word in Acts 2 for teaching is the word didache. That's where we get the word didactic. And And didache in Greek really just means teaching, doctrine, how things work, theology. And and the reason I say this is it's contrasted with the word gospel or euangelion, which we've talked about. This isn't referring to the message of proclamation. This is referring to, hey, these are the nuts and bolts of our faith. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, if you were to read the book of Acts, uh, there are multiple long speeches in Acts that I would suggest to you tell you what the teachings of the apostles are. And even in the first five chapters, you know, Peter gives one, Stephen gives one, Peter actually gives a couple. And they would clue you in to what the teaching of the apostles was. And so I wanna suggest this morning that the teaching of the apostles was centered around three main ideas. And they're simply this. The first one, the long-awaited Messiah has come. If you read the speeches, this is what Peter is saying. The Messiah has come. His name was Jesus. We missed it and we killed him. But he didn't say dead. And he was resurrected. And now he's ascended. The second key idea in the apostles' teaching, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. We have a king. We live in a kingdom The kingdom has rules and methods and ways that things get done. And it all stems from the fact that our king is Jesus. We don't make this stuff up. And then the last thing is God's restoration plan is now in a new and powerful phase. Because that guy, Jesus, he didn't stay dead. And that means Resurrection power, if I can get a little like old school, you know, Bible fundamental. Resurrection power is now loose. Anything is on the table now. Crazy stuff is going to happen in this kingdom because Jesus is Lord and the Messiah has come. That's the key aspects of the apostles' teaching. And now each time, each of these words for me brought up some questions that I think are important for me to think about. And so I want to share these questions with you that I ask myself. So the first question is simply this. Do I know the story that I'm living in? 
Do I know the story that I'm living in? The long awaited Messiah has come. Jesus is Lord. And we're living in a new age of God's movement because that new age that started with Easter is still going on. Do you expect great things of God? If you don't know the story, let me suggest that you learn it. You know, we have stage classes coming up that will tell you part of the basics of God's story. If you've never read your Bible, I suggest that you read it. If you've never been in a growth group to unpack the basics of your faith, I suggest you join a growth group. It's not hard, but you should know the story. Some of us think that it's just enough that I was saved and I was baptized, and and in a way, you're right. But in a way, you're also only living half or a fraction of the faith that you could be because there's a deeper story, and we are called to learn, okay? So the second word that I wanna unpack is the apostles, They devoted themselves to whose teaching? The apostles' teaching, all right? The apostles, in a way, are the the 12, now the 11, because Judas committed suicide. The 12 that were with Jesus. Apostle means messenger in ancient Greek. A messenger who was entrusted with the message and the character and the tone of the one who sent them. So it's a big deal. Now, Paul... Everybody know who Paul is, Sunday school time, right? All right, Paul is an apostle too, but not yet. Paul doesn't become an apostle till Acts 8, 9. So right now, the apostle's teaching essentially is Peter and the rest of the 12. And so we talked about the speeches, and uh, later Paul becomes an apostle. And so when you're talking about the apostle's teaching, in a way you go, well, I need to know my Bible because that's where the apostle's teaching is, right? Okay, Let me push on you just a little bit because when you read this Bible, you you discover two things about the apostles' teaching. The first thing is that the apostles didn't always agree with each other. If you were to read uh, the first chapter of Galatians and if you were to read more of Acts, you would find that Peter and Paul, they had a thing. So when you sign on to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn from the apostles, you need to understand that the apostles were totally okay with disagreeing with each other. And they expressed their faith. And they expressed the new reality of that teaching, those three things. They expressed it differently sometimes. So you're allowed to think for yourself sometimes because they did. And you're allowed to disagree sometimes. Because guess what they did? And this is the other thing that, that, that the apostles uh, show. Paul and even Jesus were not afraid to look at the wider culture and see where God was at work. So when I say devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, devote yourself to Paul's teaching, you understand that you're devoting yourself to a guy who was not afraid to look at ancient Greek philosophy and use it and baptize it to talk about what was going on in the world. Because you may have grown up in a faith tradition that says, hey, devote yourself to the apostles' teaching so never learn anything outside of this book. Watch out, I'm not getting too dangerous. This book is the unifying theme of my life. 
This book is the governing story, the governing narrative of my life. It's the most important story that I can live out of. But part of this story includes a man named Jesus who used things from Greek theater to to use examples of what he was talking about in his messages. This book includes a guy named Paul who looked at philosophers and said, let me demonstrate. I need to show you what God is doing. Let me look at philosophy from the culture to show you what God is doing. So to learn means to be unafraid to look at the culture around you and go, I see where God is moving in music. I see where God is moving in science. I see where God is moving. There's some TV that God is not moving in. Around here uh, at E3, we say, we have a saying, all truth is God's truth. Anybody ever heard that around here? Hang around, you will. It's true. We need to be people who are broad-minded enough. When you sign on to be a disciple of Jesus and you decide to learn as an act of discipleship, you need to understand that our faith tradition says, be broad-minded enough to look anywhere in the culture that God is moving and to point your finger and go, I'm gonna baptize it. I'm gonna immerse it in faith. I'm going to immerse it in Jesus. So the question that I ask myself here, and maybe you ask yourself this as well, am I appreciating, and I would say in learning, am I appreciating all of the truth of God's creation? Because sometimes people of faith, we encounter something that rings true and it, I'm just gonna say it, it reeks of Jesus and it reeks of God, but it doesn't have Jesus' name attached to it. And so we go, hmm, well, you know, when the 700 Club comes up with a version, then I will. And so I'm just gonna tell you, I mean, a lot of times Mark does this, but I'm gonna do it too. So what we do is we wait for an inferior version to be put out by a Christian uh, uh, organization. And it's not as good as the thing we first saw, but now it's Christian, so now we think it's okay. But it's, it's not as good as the original. I'm challenging you. Wherever you see something that reeks of Jesus, that reeks of God's love for people and the creation, embrace it, celebrate it. And it's almost like an ember that you're starting to start a fire with. Go blow on that ember and go, this thing has got Jesus all over it. So instead of going, well, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna run to it and I'm gonna blow on it. And fan that thing into flame. The last word uh, that I'm gonna talk to you about is the word devote. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And this word, you know, there's, in a way, there's no great mystery behind the word. It means devote. It means adhere to. But one of the definitions I, I saw I really liked, it means immerse. It can mean immerse. Immerse yourself in the teachings of the apostles. And uh, this word is in tension with the, the word I just said. I'm just gonna, I want to show you why. Uh, we immerse ourselves in a lot. You know, just for fun, I 
I looked up how many hours of TV the average American watches. This is still depressing. Anybody have a guess? Average American, hours of TV a day. Well, you're more depressing than I am. (laughs) Five hours of TV. We immerse ourselves in an awful lot. Some of us immerse ourselves in TV. Some of us immerse ourselves in Netflix. Some of us immerse ourselves in games. Uh, Some of us immerse ourselves in art. Okay? We, We adhere to so many things. And I just got done saying that the whole wide world is available for us to name and point to and go, God is here, God is there. But what I think the danger is, is sometimes we immerse without making connections. So we immerse to numb ourselves and we immerse to escape and we immerse because life is just too much. Anybody ever been there? And what the biblical call to learn is to say, man, okay, all right, let's be honest. Maybe five hours of TV is too much, but maybe you watch an hour. The critical thing to do is to make the connections. When you immerse yourself, don't numb out. Don't just escape but draw the line between what you're watching, what you're listening to, what you're reading, and the story that you're living in. The long-awaited Messiah has come. Jesus is Lord, and the mission of God is in a really exciting place right now. So, uh, the, the question that I ask myself is pretty obvious. What am I immersing myself in? And am I making the connections? How am I spending my time? What media am I consuming? And am I doing the work to make it worthwhile? And then I ask this question of these three words. To what end do I learn? Because this is where it becomes most important. Why learn in the first place? Do I learn so that I can get a diploma? It's not a bad thing. It's a great marker. Why learn as a disciple? Uh, it, it's actually here in this, one of the reasons or answers is right here in this passage. We learn so that we can worship. We learn so that we can understand God better. One of the church fathers, uh, St. Augustine, he said, <laughs> Just what I said. He said, I seek to know that I may worship. For me, I just want to tell you how this plays out in my life. It means that there are certain things I'm not interested in knowing. There are certain theological questions that I'm not interested in pursuing because my goal is to worship God. I put barriers on what I I seek out. I'm not ashamed of that because my call is to live in light of God's reality. So there's certain things that I'm not interested in, in, di- in dissecting or breaking down. We, we learn so that we may worship, but, 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 but. There's another uh, reason 
that I believe we are called to learn. And this makes me so excited. Uh, I was reading something this week, an author uh, threw out this idea called the adjacent possible. The adjacent possible. And what this author does is he examines how great ideas come to light. And essentially what he finds is that great ideas are not born in isolation. That there is something communal about the creation of ideas or songs or music or policies or theologies that come out of something called the adjacent possible. And you find the adjacent possible on the neurological level, the organizational level, and even the civic level. The adjacent possible is simply this. I am probably gonna come up with a better idea when I have a random conversation with somebody I didn't expect and I combine some idea that I wasn't anticipating having anything to do with what I was thinking about combining with the idea that I was thinking about. We like to think that these brilliant insights, uh, the civil rights movement is born in the mind and the heart and the soul of one person. But that's not true. Art, movements, anything that's a good idea, even science, the evidence shows that it's uh, the best ideas come from when one idea is over here and another idea is over here. And when you look at them, you go, these have nothing to do with each other. But because they're the adjacent possible, a leap gets made. And this idea gets it's combined with this idea and something beautiful and powerful and new and creative happens. One of the reasons we learn, one of the reasons we look all over the world for ideas is because we are called to bring the best ideas to light for God's purposes and God's glory. The, the antithesis of the adjacent possible is something I just call the echo chamber. The echo chamber is when you surround yourself only with the voices that speak what you already know. And it's great because all you get is affirmation. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a great idea. What a great idea. Praise Jesus. Amen. Amen but it's not the best, that does not produce the best ideas that we can produce. Let's be honest. You wanna, you wanna live in an echo chamber? Become a Christian. And then only listen to the, word, to the voices that have the name Jesus somehow nominally attached to them. That's an echo chamber. You can make the web your echo chamber I don't want to hear what that person has to say. I don't want to hear what that person has to say. You can make the 24-hour news cycle an echo chamber. Can I get an amen? I don't want to hear what Fox has to say. I don't want to hear what MSNBC has to say. So I will only listen to this. I will only watch that. And pretty soon, all you get is yes, 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 yes. But what you lose are the best ideas. You lose the adjacent possible. And what the echo chamber also produces, by the way, is a tendency for us to use knowledge only to win arguments instead of producing ideas. 
So we accumulate all this learning so that the next time that guy comes at me with something about the world, I could be like, oh yeah, bam, fact, bam, fact. And I had a, I had a, I had a teacher and he loved, I love this phrase he used to use. He would go, why are you so invested in winning? What does winning get you? Who, when's the last time anybody argued somebody into the kingdom of God? I'm not interested in an act of discipleship, of learning that just allows me to win arguments or get a better paycheck or get a diploma. There's a passage in the, later in the book of Acts that's one of my favorite passages. It's real short, actually just a verse. Acts 17, verse six um, Paul is in Thessalonica in, in Greece. Um, these guys come after and they drag Paul before the city council, Paul and Silas. And they go, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. And now they're here disturbing our city too. There's something about the way Paul and Silas and the other early church people were living that was causing a ruckus in the Roman Empire. And I love the way they kind of exaggerate. They're causing trouble all over the world. Let's be honest. It wasn't all over the world. It wasn't even all of the Mediterranean. But they're freaking out. What am I getting at? Ultimately, what I'm getting at is something I'd like to call the call to creative living. The call to creative living. Why do we learn? Because we need to live creatively in the world. The world needs our best ideas. Because the last time I checked, the world's hurting. The last time I checked, people need love and grace and connection in their life. And half-baked ideas aren't going to get it done. I was thinking about this phrase, if this, then that. There's an app that I used to use called IFTT. It's kind of an automation thing. If this, then that. And let me suggest to you that what the early church was doing was living out if this, then that. If the long-awaited Messiah has come. If Jesus is Lord. If we're in a new phase of God's movement then what? Well, then I gotta be a part of this. And ultimately what, what learning is, is an exercise for us is if this, then that. If Jesus is Lord, then what should I do? Well, I shouldn't sit around and like complain about the culture. I should go do something about it. And Mark did this a few months back. Let me just remind you that the Christian faith has a long legacy of people living out. If this, then that. Creative living. If Jesus is Lord, if the Messiah has come, then I need to serve the poor and the oppressed people and the outsiders of this country through the Salvation Army. Martin Luther King, we just saw that video. I love this. What was the phrase he used? The created, maladjusted, non-conforming minority. The creative, maladjusted, non-conforming minority. If the Messiah has come, if Jesus is Lord, then everybody needs civil rights. That's creative living. And what the church has done, I'm not beating up on my mother, 
I'm a child of the church, you understand? But I gotta be honest. What we've turned this into is if Jesus is Lord and if the Messiah has come, then I'm saved. Then I get good coffee on Sunday morning. That's not creative living. If everything has changed in the world, then I am called to look at the whole world and, and combine ideas in unexpected ways that says, man, Jesus is Lord, so people need to not be hurting. They need to not be poor. They need to not be outside of community. Let me figure out how to bring something to the table and up the ante in this world. That is what we are called to do. That's what I'm called to do. So the last question for me, and let's be honest, I'm not asking just me these questions. I'm asking you. You like the way I did that? The question is simply this. Am I living creatively in this world? Am I learning and am I pursuing learning? Not just knowing my Bible, but knowing my little corner of the culture. Whether you're an accountant or a zoologist, learn like nobody's business because the world is desperate for something new to come to the table that you don't even know what it is yet. Am I pursuing learning so that I can live creatively in the world, write songs, make policies, make friends, build businesses, build more businesses so that you can be a part of the restoration plan of God, not so that you can win arguments. That's what we're called to be. Today is a, a special day at E3 because um, we are doing this thing called the, the Serve Tallahassee Tour. And, and you need to understand that there's people in our community who have taken this idea and done something with it. They are living creatively in the world already. People who have thrown their lives into showing up on Saturday and saying, man, I'm gonna go deliver groceries to people who need it. We're gonna subsidize these people's food bills for the month. Do you want to know more about that ministry after these gatherings? Just take a few minutes and learn about it. There are people who have thrown their lives into saying, you know what? Uh, people, young women get pregnant all the time unexpectedly. They're scared. They're alone. I'm going to throw my life into counseling them, into being with them, into walking through one of the most terrifying experiences perhaps of their life. Women's Pregnancy Center. We've been a part of that ministry. Those people, Jay Vancher, she's living creatively in the world. There's information out in the Pathways booth. Maybe God's calling you to live creatively in the world. Man, we're a bright group of people. We're not always the prettiest. That was just a joke. <laughs> but I know you. You're hardworking, good people. Learn like God's world depends on it. Because it does. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's get out of here and go to the serve tour. 